Good morning, Kings. How's everybody doing? I'm going to read um, a collection of Proverbs this morning um, from chapters 13, 17, 18, and 27. So um, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer, suffer harm. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the, the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Chris read a, a bunch of Proverbs that have to deal with our topic, but um, before, we, before we do that, we began a series about four weeks ago. Um, if you missed any of them, you can go on our, on our website, you can podcast them, watch the video, download, whatever um, that you want to do. In our introduction, we talked about wisdom literature being poetic in nature and the importance of how to understand, to, to interpret Proverbs correctly is to know parallelism. We said it's important to know that the book is not a book of promises, but truisms, axioms that may or may not be true in the present, but ultimately will be true in eternity. We looked at the overall themes, and we came up with, with our theme for this series uh, because it is the book of gospel. The whole Bible is a book of gospel. Our title is God's Wisdom for Gospel Living. Another way to look at that this morning is, that, is to say that Proverbs is part of what they call a meta-narrative of redemptive history. In other words, Proverbs is not a random, separate piece of, piece of wisdom literature, of biblical literature, just like really not connected to any other book of the Bible. Its message actually fits into the big story. The, the meta-narrative of the Bible is, is the message that God broke in, that the message is that God interceded on behalf of sinners like you and me, on behalf of rebellious people, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that gospel propels us to live on mission, demonstrating and declaring the good news, that Jesus Christ is the good news. It's the overall redemptive history, and Proverbs fits into that book. And all those who, who trust him, all those who repent of their sins and put their place, uh, excuse me, faith in the finished work of, of Christ on what he did on the cross and subsequent resurrection from the dead will be forgiven and reconciled to God. That's the big story. So on the one hand, the book of Proverbs is about getting wisdom the godly ability, the skill to choose the right path, the right direction, the right course, to live practically in a godly way. Especially where they're, we're not really sure. We're not, there's no real moral definitive in Scripture. But we have so many decisions to make. We get wisdom from the Scriptures. But it's not simply just that. On the other hand, and most importantly, it's, as we said last week, it's humbly living a life in wisdom that declares and demonstrates the gospel and the treasuring of Christ. So on one hand, we read, we apply Proverbs, hopefully we'll grow in holiness, we'll grow in love, we'll grow in the likeness of Jesus. Yet on the other hand, we need to make sure that it propels us to live by demonstrating and declaring love and the gospel to everyone else around us, to bring him glory 
to bring God glory, to show people that we treasure him above all earthly treasures, and to point to people the good news and the way of salvation. That's why when we spoke of wisdom last week, we spoke about it being personified, because wisdom says she calls out in the street, if you read the book, she's personified. We said the New Testament teaches us that Lady Wisdom is Jesus, personified, personalized, incarnated. 1 Corinthians 1.24, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of him you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God. Chapters 1 through 9 is this call, this fatherly call to wisdom. To follow wisdom, to pursue wisdom, to turn from folliness. That's chapters 1 through 9. Chapters 10 and following is when we get to, which Chris spoke uh, and read scripture today, we get to this pithy statements, the proverb proper of, of wisdom literature, Hebrew parallelism. So kind of short, quick, pointed places and statements of wisdom. And that's where we're going to be for the rest of the series. We're going to look at several topics Major themes within Proverbs. Because that's the kind of literature it is. It's not this expounding verse by verse, chapter by chapter that we go through. But what we're going to do is expound Proverbs, even the pithy statements you'll see today. We're going to let the scriptures speak to us. We're going to see what Proverbs has to say about certain topics. That's topical expositional preaching. Today, we look at the topic of friendships. So in order to get you in the right mood, we're going to show you this short video. have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? My neighbor? I'm glad we're together again. We've been talking about it all week. Won't you be our neighbor? There's some of you going, who is that? We'll talk to you after. The, uh, you could just... <laughs> we'll be like, uh, that's somebody you may not know. Kind of weird. But yeah, he was actually a, a Presbyterian pastor, I understand. But anyway, so we're talking about wisdom and we're talking about friendships. We're going to talk in the future about 
Topics like pride and anger and the tongue or the use of words or, or laziness and sloth. We're going to talk about work and money, marriage, sex, kids, in that order, because that's the way it's supposed to be. Sex will be in- interesting, not simply because what we see in our culture, what's going on with the Supreme Court, but it's a delicate issue as well, so you won't want to miss that. We're going to deal with some issues uh, head, head on, as I like to do. So um, as we approach the topic of friendships, let's look at under four questions. Why do we need friends? Who are our true friends? How do we avoid friends? And what can motivate us to be true and good friends? So that's where we're going in the book of Proverbs. Let's see what Proverbs has to say, okay? Not going to spend a lot of time on the first point, but our culture seems to put friendships on the back burner, okay? We live in a culture that gets more and more isolated even with social media. And the reason is because real and true and biblical friends are not something that is biologically or sociologically necessary to live, to breathe, to have deep friendships. We will see, and I hope to, to show you, that true friendships are deliberate. True friendships are intentional. It doesn't happen unless it is sought after, unless it is developed into this mutual, healthy love for one another. C.S. Lewis, in his famous essay on friendships... And why the lack of friendships writes this. When either affection or eros, erotic love, is one's theme, one finds a prepared audience. People talk about that. The importance and beauty of both have been stressed and almost exaggerated again and again. But very few modern people think friendship a love of comparable value or even a love at all. To the ancient, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves. The crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. It is something quite marginal, not a main course in life's banquet, a diversion. Something that fills up the chinks of one's time. How has this come about, he asks. He says the first and most obvious answer is that few people, few value it because few experience it. And the possibility of going through life without the experiences rooted in the fact which separates friendship so sharply from the other loves, affection and eros. Friendship is the least natural of the loves, he says. The least instinctive, organic, biological, gregarious, sociable, and necessary. Without eros, none of us would have been gotten. Without affection, none of us would have been reared up. Talk about family. But we can live and breed without friendships. The species, biologically considered, has no need of it, end quote. You see what he's saying? What C.S. Lewis is pointing out is that erotic love caused you to exist. And, and, and even though it's out of control, busy culture we're living in, we still have this neighborly relationships. We still have these relationships and these friendships that deal with family deals with your civic duties, that deals with your uh, work relationships, maybe school relationships, and we call them friends. You may not have much of a choice. They're there. They're if you're living and you're breathing. Those types of friendships are inevitable. They, 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 they take up a lot of our time, and because we are people who are so busy, we are so running all over the place, that we push deep abiding friendships to the back. That's what he's saying. True friendships, 
is what Proverbs is showing us. The book of Proverbs says that you and I cannot make life. We can't make life happen for the glory of God without friends. If you and I want to walk in wisdom, you and I need to have friendships. True friendships bring a unique love into your life. A unique role played in your life that no other relationship has. According to the Bible, making, keeping, and developing friendships is actually part of the Imago Dei, the image and likeness of God. And our core values, we talk about this. Let me just spend a minute. In Genesis 1, God said six times, He saw every aspect of his creative order and he said it was good. Chapter 1, verse 4, the light, it was good. God gathered the waters and the seas. God saw it, looked at it and said it was good. And on and on and on it goes. At the end of chapter 1, in a sort of crescendo statement, God looks at all his creation. Chapter 1, verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Then at the end of chapter 1, after, our, after that, we turn the page and we see in chapter 2 that God puts man in the garden to keep it, to work it, and he commands them, you can eat of every tree, but not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat it, or you shall die. Then verse 18, he says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now remember, I I say this every time, the statement was made in perfect shalom, in perfect peace, before sin entered the world. God looked at his creation in perfect shalom, in perfect peace, in perfect creative order, and said something was not good. Not good in paradise because God created Adam not to be alone. Why is that? Why do we see Adam And God looks at everything and says, very good. Then looks at Adam in chapter 2 and says, it's not good. This isn't good. It's because God in the Bible is revealed to us as one God, three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existing as one God, yet in community from eternity past to eternity future. It's not simply that God's interested in friendships or interested in community God rightly defined and understood from the scripture is community, his nature, father, son, and spirit. God exists there. There's communication, there is love, there is glory being poured out. There is, there is, there is let us make man in our image. There's communication, just like the good friendship. And we see all this within the Trinitarian nature of God. And although God is and will always be satisfied in himself, God is not lonely. God does not need us. God is all and all, and he is satisfied totally within himself. Yet in love, God chose. This creative God chose to create man, to create us, to bear his image and bear his likeness for his glory. So the fact that God in and of himself is a God of community means deep down inside we were created for relationships. We were created for relationships, for friendships. To love and to have friendships with God and and to love and have relationship with God and with others because we were made in the Imago Dei.
Now, I realize Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2, the context is marriage. I get that. But the principle remains true. We were created to be in friendship, to be in relationships. In Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, it is assumed that all of us need friends to walk with us, to live life together with us, to speak the truth to us, to even contradict us. Even contradict us when we need to hear the truth. Truth. Here's point one. True and deep relationships are God-like. Okay? True and deep relationships, friendships are God-like. Have you ever noticed over the past decade or so, all the very, very popular shows on TV are about friendships? Millions upon millions of people watch Seinfeld. Millions of people watch the show Friends, three guys, three girls, hanging out in Greenwich Village in New York. Even the big popular show today, The Big Bang Theory, Bazinga, if you watch the show. It's all about friendships. People like to watch people live their life out with others, having friendships with others, seeing the struggles of friendships, seeing the heartaches of friendships, seeing the joys of friendships, seeing maybe the fact that friendships do end sometimes. Deep down, people want friends, need friends, and want to feel accepted. Proverbs shows us what a true and friend, biblical friend is and what kind of relationships we should have. Why do we need friends? Part of the Imago Dei. We suppress it. We deal with just the surface things, but the Bible says we need to have deep abiding relationships in order to walk in wisdom. So let's look. Let me begin. Who are our true friends? Let me begin by saying what we all know to be true. The 2,000 people you got on your Facebook page is not your friend, okay? The 600, the 800, the 1,500, 2,000, whatever it is, they're not really your friends, okay? If we're going to talk about friendship, I want to narrow the definition down to what true friendships really are, okay? Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin... Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions or friends in the Hebrew may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That is antithetical parallelism. We talk about that. The second line states the opposite of the first line. The Hebrew word companion also can be translated friend. Okay? Let me, let me, make that, let me put that up for you. 18.24. There we go. A man of many companions. Right. So the word he, uh, companions can be translated friend. NAS has friend, but it's up to the context to know what that, that Hebrew word is saying. It could be a good friend. could be a bad friend. It could be an acquaintance. It could be a companion, depending on uh, you know, the context of that verse. Some scholars think that 18.24 talks about companions or friends is someone that's bad for you. So a, many of a, ma- uh, a man of many Bad friends may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Some commentators say that man of many companions just talks about the plurality. It's in plural in the Hebrew, many companions, um, and says, you know what? A man can have a whole host of friends, but not a real true friend, right? It's like, how many friends you got on Facebook or how many people following you on Twitter? It really doesn't matter. They're not your friends. Okay, so that's what he's saying. But it doesn't really matter how you um, really define this 
for our, for our understanding today, the bottom line is a contrast between the fair-weather friends, right? The, the, the run-of-the-mill friends, those companions, people that you're acquaintances, maybe they're for your good or maybe they're just neutral, compared to a friend who is real, who is true. Look what it says. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, right? Big difference. We have acquaintances. We have companions. We have people we know on Facebook, on Twitter, people that we maybe met once, maybe never met, but they're connected to somebody else. There's levels here that we see, right? There are even those who think they're your BFF, and you're like, no, you're just an acquaintance. It's awkward. They're thinking it's awkward with you too. So, that, you know, it, it goes both ways. Okay, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So let's define what a true friend is. Here's my definition. You can have your own, I don't care. A friend is a trustworthy person with whom we mutually, right, mutual, with whom we mutually choose in love to live life together, giving them special entry into your life for God's glory and your good, or God's glory and your joy, okay? Trustworthy person, mutually choose to live life in love, giving them access or entry for God's glory and our joy. Trust is huge, is it not, in relationships and in friendships? Right? Trust is, trust is so important. I believe it's one of the foundational bedrocks, according to Scripture, about friendships. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. See, what you don't want is to have a friend and sharing your soul, bearing your burdens, kind of pouring your life out, and they're sending it on Facebook message, Right? They're twittering, twittering about your, 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 your hardships, your troubles. There has to be trust there. Proverbs here tells that gossip destroys relationships, but those who seek to love you cover and forgive an offense. Proverbs 20.19, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple, petite, gullible, naive babbler. Loyalty and trust is so important in friendships. True friends are those who do not talk trash and junk and gossip about you, right? They they, they keep secrets. They keep those things in their hearts and they, what? They are quick to forgive. That old saying that is stupid and wrong, that love means you never have to say I'm sorry, is wrong and is stupid, whether it's in marriage or in friendships. We have to say I'm sorry. Family, this means not just gossiping and, and speaking evil of someone. This also means when you have true biblical and, and deep relationships, friendships, it means when talking to other people, you're not putting them down, maybe speaking less about their abilities, maybe less about their achievements, maybe less about their ideas in life so that you could promote your achievements your abilities, that you appear slightly superior than them. That's convicting. All right, let's move on. The friendships we're talking about are different relationships 
than other things we have. We're talking about friendships. We talk about all kinds of relationships, don't we? We talk about a student and teacher, maybe. A, a counselor and a counselee, possibly. A boss can have a relationship with their employer. Some have wonderful relationships um, within maybe your, your school. Even pastors have relationships with their community, children, relationships with their parents. Again, all good and healthy, but they're not peer-like, P-E-R, peer-like relationships that we all need. Proverbs 17, 7. A friend loves at all times, and the brother is born for adversity. Now, remember we talked about parallelism. This is where stuff like this is important. This is not antithetical. This is not a, a friend loves at all time, but, and that's good, but a brother, that's not good. He's only born for adversity. That's not what this is saying. This is not antithetical against contrasting. This is synonymous parallelism where the second line states the same thing as the first, but in a different way. There's continuation. There is purpose. Both a friend and a brother are there for you, even when things are hard. Now understand, this this. Proverb was written in a very familial, clan-like relationships, okay? And, and this is not a knock on the brother. This is a dignified statement of friendships. It's not tearing down the brother, but lifting up the good friends. To say that a friend loves at all times means that there's no time out in friendships. That there's, no, there's no time out really in, in brother, brother and sister natural relationships. During the good, during the bad, during the ordinary and, and, and routine times, a friend loves, a friend is there. A true friend cannot be born without constant availability and love. Here's the point. He is faithful, she is faithful, and love in a time of need. They're not the fair-weathered friends that come and go. Where people want to be your friend when things go well. The true measure of friendship is how well they stick to you when things go bad. And what this is saying is your brother, your sister, your natural, your, your biological are supposed to be there for you. They're family. Okay? Now remember, this is truism and axioms. You're thinking, not my brother, not my sister. But generally speaking... Your family will be there for you. And what this is saying, that there are some true and loyal friends that stick by you. Not because they're your family, a choice that they did not make, but a choice that they do make. They don't have to, but they do. They stand by you, rock solid by your side. There is loyalty, consistency, dependability, and reliability. There is forgiveness. There is acceptance. Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions, again, comes to ruin. But there's a friend who sticks. You know that word sticks? Closer than a brother. You know that word sticks? is the same Hebrew word used in Genesis 2 when it speaks of a marriage relationship. At the end of the first marriage ceremony, in Genesis chapter 2, 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, or cleave, that's the same Hebrew word, to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It says this friend's commitment is out of passionate love, where there is forgiveness and acceptance. There's a uniqueness in his friendship. They bring together something that family can't even bring, neighbors can't bring, nothing can bring. And these friends, let me tell you, these friends are not only love at all times, they're not only uh, uh, friends who stick closer to a brother, they're not only friends who, who don't repeat matters, they're not only friends who don't slander, 
They love at all times. But let me tell you something else. These kind of friends, you give access to your life so that they may speak to you and speak and have entrance into your life that nobody else can. This is very important. Proverbs 27.5. A man... Proverbs 27.5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That's 27.5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Verse 9 of chapter 27. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. One last verse. Proverbs 17.17. Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. There is love. There is acceptance. There is forgiveness. There is availability. But there's also, listen family, there is vulnerability. Real friendship is like sharpening the blade of a sword. By ourselves, when left to our own device, when left to our own selves, our knives become dull and blunted. We lose that edge. All of us need friends. Deep, true friends who will not simply flatter us, but will refine us. Now, in verse 5 of chapter 27, 5, listen, it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Okay, is it up there? Good. Look at verse 5 and 6. What is it that he's talking about here with friendly wounds? Wounds, right? It's a metaphor. It's things that are being said to a true friend that are going to be painful, that they need to hear because you love them. If you cannot say things that need to be said in love, you wouldn't be not be considered a true friend. But look at the parallelism here. Verse 5 and 6 go together. The second clause of verse 5, look at it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, uh, the first part. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Look at the parallelism. Better is an open rebuke, okay, He's talking about that, and he's talking about hidden love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend. He's talking about those who love, but then profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Do you see what he's saying there? This is what he's saying. He says the work of uh, the person who thinks they are loving, hidden love, are like the kisses of an enemy. See how they go together. Better is open rebuke, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Hidden love, kisses of an enemy. That's what he's saying. What he's saying is it is better to have the open rebuke to be wounded by friends than those who hide their love from me, who rather not say anything to me, who rather just keep it to themselves, who are more concerned about themselves, they are like the kisses of an enemy. They are like Judas. So it's better to have open rebuke with those who love me, that friends who wound me, that are my friends, than to have hidden love, not speak to me, keep it to yourself, because they are like kisses of an enemy. See, that's the parallelism that's there. That's the contrast that, that this proverb is trying to write out. Proverbs 29.5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. So instead of saying, listen, you're going down the road, there's destruction down that way, you're going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt people around you, things are not going to go well if you keep going. That's the same thing as spreading a net. So that when you step on that net, that net traps you, or a bear claw that closes on your foot. That's what that proverb is saying. So when a true friend is honest, 
a true friend is faithful with you and speaks the truth in love, you know that they care about you. Do you have friends like that? Do you have friends that you know that no matter what they say, they could be even wrong at times, they're usually not, but you know that they love you, that they care about you, that they're only speaking to you because they love you. I hope you have friends like that. They want to see you grow in your faith. They want to see you grow so that God is displayed greater through you, that his glory is seen better in your life. We've got to come terms to this. We have to come to terms with this, giving them license to speak into our lives. You say, well, well, pastor, I, I've done that once and it backfired. Okay. There are abuses, but there are also lousy restaurants and lousy doctors. But when you're sick, you go to a different doctor and you go to a different restaurant to eat. So we just don't throw it out. We have to give them license to speak into our lives. It's only when they got the right to, to speak honestly and to talk about us can we grow in repentance. We should all want friends to speak the truth to us. I mean, who would say, hey, you want some friends? Yeah, you want them to lie to you? Yeah, I want, that, that's me. I'd just rather you lie to me and tell me everything I want to hear and don't tell me anything about myself or any truth. That's not true friendship. That's not true friendships. And let me say one other thing. When we have true friends and you're a true friend, when you have to speak wounds that hurt, it hurts you. It hurts you. You're sensing their pain because you're connected with them emotionally. You love them so much, they know there's such a connection between you and them that you feel the pain they feel. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If you don't feel the pain, you're not connected with them. Maybe you shouldn't even speak. Maybe you shouldn't even speak. Does it hurt? Does it hurt when someone, even though you love, tells you something that you may not want to hear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one goes, well, oh, that's, I am so glad you told me about that stupid, silly folly in my life. I'm just rejoicing over it. Like, nobody feels that way. It's not that way with God's discipline, but it's for our good. And we have to, we have to embrace it. Paul said, do not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. So let it rattle us, but that's okay. Because look at Proverbs 24, 26. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. A true friend and a true kiss is that which wounds and, and draws us closer to Jesus. A true friend not only wounds gently, though, but I want to say this again, gets wounded themselves in the process. So I, I, just, want, I just want to make that really, really, really clear. A true friend will speak carefully, consistently, lovingly, and they will feel the pain you feel and will enter into that relationship in such a way that you share it together. One last thing. Look at verse, chapter 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. True friends, even in the midst of speaking truth and love, are a great source of comfort and encouragement. True friends are a delight to the soul. This word oil refers to the, the practical and aesthetic olive oil that they would use. It makes the heart glad. Psalm 45. Your throne, O God, forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of righteousness, uprightness. You have loved righteous, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. 
The oil of gladness, the incense, is a symbol of, uh, of enjoyment. It was a symbol of, of the light counsel of a friend. The benefit is a sweetness to our souls. You know, a few people have the right and access to stop by your house anytime they want. Maybe, maybe a few people have that access that no matter where you are, do you have a friend that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what you look like, you're just happy to see them? It doesn't matter. They show up, it's okay. I'm just happy to see you. I have a friend like that. I have a friend like that that he, by the way, deep friends like that, a he, I don't need to say anymore, you know what I'm talking about. He listened and listened and listened to me during the hardships of my life without uh, complaining that I sounded like a broken record or a skipping CD for you new people, okay? Even I got tired about my own whining and crying and carrying on. But he was trying to be an encouragement to me all the time and listen to me without judging me. That's a true friend. When I say not judging me, let me make it clear. I'm not saying he doesn't point out sin in my life. We take that word and we abuse it. He does point out sin in my life. That's not what judgment means. There's a righteous kind of judgment we're supposed to exercise carefully, lovingly, in discernment and hope for the ultimate goal of bringing repentance and restoration and healing. We're supposed to point those things out to friends. True friends do that. The judgment that Jesus spoke against is not the righteous kind, but the condemning the hypocritical judging, the self-righteous judgment of others, that's a different story. That's a true friend. So how do we avoid friends? Now, when I talk about avoiding friends, I'm not talking about the, the friend, the biblical friends. I'm talking about those people that can lead you astray, right? Like, no matter what, no matter how long you've been on this earth, if you're here, you're old enough to be in this room, you've had friends, you've had problems, and let's face it, we all live in a broken world, and we've had friends, and we've had friends dissolve, friendships dissolve. It can be... Pre- uh, definitely a problem. Proverbs would have us put into practice some practical steps. How to choose friends wisely. Not perfectly, but wisely. How do you get into that long-term relationships and friendships in using some wisdom? Paul said, bad company corrupts good morals. That doesn't mean that we are to leave the world and have, you know, uh, um, to just escape and don't talk to anybody. But there is a level of relationships, and I want you to hear me really clearly here. There is a level of relationships that draw us closer to Jesus, that draw us closer to loving him, that propel us and, and send us in a trajectory toward the worship of Jesus, right? Proverbs thirteen twenty: Whoever walks with the wise, who's wise? Jesus, right? Whoever walks with the wise, he's personified in wisdom. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 22, 24. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Why? Verse 25. Lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. I will tell you what you kind of person you will be like two years, five years, ten years, twenty years from now by the friendships, the deep abiding friendships you have today. That's just the way it is. No, 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 not me. I'm hanging out with that hothead all the time, the one who's angry and wrathful, but not me. Yeah, give yourself some time. We'll see who influences who, all right? I mean, I had to deal with this, um, dealing with the surrounding culture, the people that I surrounded myself with in my career as a New York State Correction Officer for 25 years. 
I did not like the person I was becoming as a Christian. I had to find and cultivate and build godly relationships. There's a man right here sitting here was one of them that I could talk to and pray with in the prison, get away from that. Otherwise, I'd be swallowed up in the relationships in the darkened and negative environment. Let me give you one example. You have them in your own workplace, your own school, your own neighborhood. You have them. Okay, let me just give you one example. In that line of work, one of the common things that's said, one of the common things that's believed, I don't believe it, one of the common things that is believed is that we work in a very bad, dark environment. No one understands us. No one understands my job. Can't talk to anyone. And what happens is more and more correction officers find themselves in isolation and in darkness. And, and, and we get to that place and we're all alone. But it's nonsense. If I were to listen to that wisdom, I would shut out my wife and my family Right? When the wisdom of God tells me to do the opposite. If I was a brain surgeon, I am not. Or a Starbucks barista, I think I could do that. Um, and my wife was doing something totally different. She would not understand my job unless I talked with her. Unless I made myself vulnerable to her. Unless I communicated with her in love. Unless I let myself open up to give her entrance into my life. As Christ loved the church. So God's word trumps cultural wisdom that draws me away from the principles. My job was to communicate in a way that makes me vulnerable to my wife. Does she completely understand it? Absolutely not. And I don't understand her job completely. She talks about biology. I just look at her and shake my head. I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what she's talking about. I'm just going along for the ride. I'm trying to figure out clues along the way. I don't know biology. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm trying. I might ask some questions, but I kind of know what's going on. So you may have some of that too. What wisdom is being spoken to you in such a way that you're drawing closer to them, but yet the biblical principle is not found. There's nothing there scripturally. There's nothing that's not wise for you to follow. Proverbs 24.1. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. There are just some friendships that lead us down a dark path. All right? Sometimes, sometimes we get into the relationship... And everything is going great in our lives. We've got money, we've got prosperity, and all of a sudden we've got all kinds of friends. Then all of a sudden, things don't really go that well. I think I have that verse up here. Do I have that verse up here? Yeah, Proverbs 19.4. Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. It's like, I got it really good. Everyone's knocking on my door. I'm broke. I don't have much. I can't hear anything. Like, there's crickets out there. I got no friends left. You know what that reminds me of? If you remember, I'm a big, I was a big fight fan, and I followed Mike Tyson. And when Mike Tyson, at the height of his career, making millions by the second, right before his fall, I'll never forget, he comes out of his locker room, headed to the ring for a fight. Usually have four or five guys with you. Not Mike Tyson. He had so much money. He had like 35 guys surrounding him. I'm like, what is all this? Everybody wanted to be his friend. Like, I'm, I'm with you, dude. What do you need? And he had this entourage walk into the ring. Must have been a thousand people there. They had no idea about boxing. I mean, he lost the fight. They're putting, you know, a, a rubber glove on his eye to try to put the swelling down. I mean, you know, it's just, it was, it, was a, it was crazy. And when he fell, nobody was around. That's what the Proverbs saying. So, how can you and I walk in wisdom and avoid bad and destructive friendships?
How can we become the kind of friend the book of Proverbs talks about? How do we allow others the access, the entry into our lives to speak the truth in love? How do we trust one another enough so that these kind of relationships can be built? What is the motive? Consider two things. First, the glory of God. Real and true biblical friends walk with you as you both try to bring God glory. You both look to treasure Christ above all earthly treasures to make him known. Spurring one another, the Bible says, onto good works. The final reality of true and biblical friendships and all that we do, we have to consider 1 Corinthians. Whatever you do, Eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. That includes deep, loving, and lasting relationships, friendships. Now, hear me correctly. I am not saying in any way that we should not build friendships outside the community of faith. Let me say it one more time. I am not saying in any way that we should not build friendships outside of the community of faith. I have, I had very good friends that, are, that are, I love, at some level I share life with them. But there is a certain depth that we cannot share. How, how could I share with those who are seeking their own kingdom and I am seeking the kingdom of God? So what I'm saying is the deepest, the truest the friendship that's sharpened one another to bring God glory has to have Christ at the center. That's what I'm saying. I think that's what the scriptures are saying. If friendships are about someone being good for you and you being good for them, doesn't it need to be ultimately about God getting glory in your life? If your life is Christ, if your life is, a, is to treasure him and display his glory, in the context of deep and vulnerable accessibility, it can only happen in friendships that are walking in the same direction. So yes, we need to build relationships. Please don't hear me saying that. I'm only going to be, that's not what I'm saying. But everyone should have some who understand sin, brokenness, repentance, walking with Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Okay. Second and last, I think all of us at this point, we should be at least, realize that this kind of friendships is yes, something that sounds awesome. Like to have a friend like that like, that's the longing of my heart. But if we're honest, if we're honest for a moment, looking at the biblical reality of what friendships are like should be somewhat devastating, put you on shaky ground. I mean, really, Pastor? Is the book of Proverbs saying that we are to love people all the time? Be with them in the ups and downs of life. Speak truth and kindness and patience. Feeling pain with them as they feel pain. Being loyal and consistent and dependable and reliable and vulnerable. Forgiveness, total acceptance. That's a huge tall order. That's hard. It is. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed... Preparing for his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. As he was trying to get through to his thick-headed disciples like you and I. He's telling them about what was going to happen. One of the themes he talked about to them was friendships. In 1 John 15. 
He says to his disciples, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? He is drawing them in. He is giving them entrance into his life. I am now calling you friends. I am laying down my life for you. The creator God and friendships. The Bible, the Christian understanding of the biblical God is friendship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember we said that? And he was in the garden. The Bible says he was walking in the midst of with Adam and Eve, walking is a metaphor in the Hebrew of saying there was friendships, there was relationship between God and his creation. But what did we do? We turned our back on God. We distrusted him. We ate of the fruit. We disobeyed him. We did not trust his goodness and his provisions. And we ran and hid from him. What do friends usually do when that happens? When they mistrust you and they turn their back on you or you turn your back on them and they mistrust you, You do the same. You turn on them, but not Jesus. He says, I am the true and the better friend. I am the ultimate friend who loves you all the time. I am the ultimate friend who is not going to betray you even though you betrayed me. I'm going to cleave to you, to be committed to you in passionate love where there is forgiveness and total acceptance in the gospel at the infinite cost of giving my life for you so that you will not go to ruin. The true and better friends whose wounds are the wounds of love. But instead of inflicting them, he absorbs them. Isaiah says that he was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Brought into a right relationship with the Father. All of street, sheep, all of us as sheep have gone astray. All of us has turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity on, of us all. On the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he hung there and dying for our sins, taking our punishment and the wrath we deserve, lost for a moment that intimate relationship with the Father. My God, my God, he cried out, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus Christ on the cross took the wrath we deserve. On the cross, lost the friendship with God even for a moment so that we could have friendship with God. He lost it so that you can be brought in. He was pushed out so that you can be in and have entrance to the Father. Dr. Tim Keller writes, Jesus Christ on the cross experienced what we should have experienced so he could basically say, he was the perfect friend. He let you in. How much more emotional connection do you want? Look at his arms nailed open for you. How much more do you want him to be? There is the ultimate friend, and he lets you in, end quote. Jesus Christ, the true and the better an ultimate friend who will never let you down. When you see him, when you see all that he has done for you, when you see the pain and the suffering he endured to bring you in, to liberate you, should motivate us to be good friends. If I know that Jesus Christ 
has not let me down, if I know that he loves me no matter what, then I can move out of being afraid of rejection, not being afraid to hear the truth or even speak the truth. To forgive always, to accept always, to love always, because he first loved me. Do you see that? This table here is showing us the gospel. And the host is Jesus himself through the power of his spirit. He is present. He beckons you to come. Make him the friend your heart desires. And you'll have friends that your heart desperately needs. Come to the table. The bread is the body that was broken. It represents his body that was broken for you on the cross. The cup is the, represents the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin. He says, come. He laid down his life for you so that you can have entrance into the kingdom. So let me, add, let me end with this. The band, you can come on up. Everybody else, just give me one more second. Do you know Jesus that way? Do you know Jesus is the ultimate friend who gave his life for you? If you do, come and partake of the table. If you don't, my prayer is that you turn and repent from your sins. That means to turn in a different direction, acknowledge your sin, and trust Jesus. His work on the cross, his dying for you, his rising for you. Trust him, today's the day. And he will be your ultimate friend. Number two, do you have friends like that? It takes time. It takes energy. It takes intentionality. But it's worth it. And it's the way God created us. So it is not to say, pastor wants me to go out and haphazardly make friends. I'm not saying that. Be wise. But look to build relationships and friendships. God has blessed me beyond blessing. When I first came to faith in Jesus Christ, he brought a couple of men in my life that, I can, that are still friends to this day that I have for 30 years at this level. And I'm thankful for it. I hope you have that. If not, be that kind of friend and God will bring people into your life. Father, thank you. Help us now go to the table in a way that honors you. Help us to respond in faith and trust in you. Because you are our ultimate trust. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Acknowledge him in all our ways and he will direct our paths. Help us to do that, we pray.